what we have done today is what we do every Lord's Day. Every Lord's Day, we acknowledge what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That means every Lord's Day is special to us because there's a special message with a special Savior. It's not out of the norm. And it's not something to be, become simply commonplace. The world has their values all wrong. They miss so much. But every Lord's Day, we acknowledge the resurrected Savior. In John chapter 11 and verse 17, John writes, So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, at the resurrection in the last day, he who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. You know, with all the medical advances that we've made in our time, and there have been many, I have discovered that there are at least two things for which there's no medical cure. One is old age, and the other is death. There's not a pill you can take that will alleviate old age and all of its attendant vagaries, challenges. And there's not a pill you can take that will resurrect the dead. I'm reminded of the brief comment I read of a man who had been really, really sick, nigh unto death. And upon improving, a friend asked him, are you glad to be back in the land of the living? Having a spiritual perception about him, he said, no, I'm still in the land of the dying. And that's the truth. We're in the land of the dying. Death comes as an unwanted visitor and leaves its icy chill on everyone that encounters. On this occasion, great friends of Jesus experience what you and I experience, the death of a brother. 
the death of a loved one. In this case, the death of a very, very good friend. A host of friends that had gathered in Bethany. One by the name of Lazarus. His two sisters are mourning his loss as we mourn the loss of our loved ones. And Martha says to him, Lord, if you'd just been here a few days earlier, my brother would not have died. To me, implied in that is, why didn't you come as soon as you heard this? Why did you wait? You had the power to prevent this. Don't know if she's rebuking Jesus or just simply expressing her, her heartfelt sympathy because of a broken heart of having lost a loved one. But nonetheless, she says to Jesus, if you had been here, he would not have died. And Jesus says, he'll live again. And she responds, I know in the last day that he will live again. I know in the last day he will live again. And then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Do you believe that? Martha understood there was going to be a resurrection in the day. And Jesus is trying to get her to see there's something more involved than just looking to the resurrection at the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. And he's trying to get her to see there is a death that transcends. It has to do with the cessation of physical life. We're reminded all too poignantly throughout Scripture and in our lives about the death that comes spiritually. The wages of sin are death. That has been true ever since the garden. It has been true even unto today. And there's no escaping that spiritual death when sin enters our life. Jesus is trying to get her to see there's something beyond the death of your brother that is more important than the death of your brother. There's something more important than the simple, simple cessation of physical life. That's a death. And yes, it is painful. Yes, it leaves one lonely and empty. But there's a spiritual death that is far greater and far more disastrous, far more destructive than anything that has to do with a simple cessation of breath and life. And so he says, there's a life that is greater than the resurrected life that you're talking about that I'm offering unto you. In John 8, he will talk about being the bread of life. The bread which is the bread of God that's come down to give life. He came to give life even to the living not just the dead, but even to the living. And he came to give that life abundantly. John 5 and John 10 will tell us. And so Jesus can say, I'm the resurrection and the life. There's more to life, life eternal, than what you're simply looking at in the day of the resurrection. I'm the resurrection and the life. There are three things I want to think about. When we think about Jesus as the resurrection and the life. The first of those is, first of all, Jesus raised the dead. There are at least three times in Scripture 
I'm not saying that's all, but at least three times in Scripture that Jesus raised the dead. First of all, in Luke chapter 7, where you had the intersection of the woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years, intersecting what? What takes place? The widow from Nain. Her son is being carried in his casket to her grave. Her only son, the only relative that she had. And Jesus stops the procession and raises that boy from the dead. Jesus raised her son. I'm further reminded of the Gospel of Luke about the father who is a member of the synagogue who comes to Jesus. His, his daughter is nigh unto death and appeals to him. Will you come and make my daughter whole? And while Jesus was coming, a messenger came from the man's house and said, you can stop. No need. Your daughter's already died. And Jesus, in essence, said, wait until you read the rest of the story. Because he continues to Jairus' house, along with Peter, James, and John, enters the room where the daughter lays. Everybody's laughing at Jesus and tells that girl to rise from the dead. Jesus raised the dead. And here now in John chapter 11, in Bethany, Jesus has waited four days to come. And now Lazarus is dead and Lazarus is in the grave. He's going to go to the grave and his sisters say, he's been there four days, he's going to begin to smell. And Jesus says, what's that to me? And then says, Lazarus, come forth. And you know what? He did. He came forth. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, He's saying, I have the power to conquer death. I have the power to give life again. And it's not just that I have power to give life again to raise physically. I have the power to give life again to raise spiritually. To make one spiritually alive as well. In fact, that's the point about it. He's not just raising the dead. He's telling them to say, if I have the power to cause this one who's died to be raised, to have life again, then is that too much for me to say? I have the power to conquer spiritual death and to give one spiritual dead life again. That's why he's raising them from the dead. He's not just putting on a nice show. He's not just relieving the, the pain of a broken heart. What he's saying is, I have the power to give you life. I am not just the resurrection and the life. I am the living resurrection. That's what he's telling them. I have the power to raise the dead. But the second thing I want you to see that is powerful about this is that Jesus also arose from the dead. Turn with me to the Gospel of John again. Look back in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Look beginning in verse 13 with me. 
Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. Then the Jews said, it has taken 40 and 6 years to build this temple. And will you raise it in three days? Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered. He had said this to him and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus has said. Did you get the amazement and the feeling of incredulity on the part of these who have been the money changers? Tell us, who gives you the right to tell us to get out of here? And the disciples remembered the zeal of the house hath eaten thee up. And then he said the most incredible thing. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. And they go, ha, right. Now you've really lost your mind. This temple, it took us 46 years for this thing to be built. They missed it. He wasn't talking about the temple. He was talking about himself. And the text says, when he arose, when he was risen, the disciples remembered that moment. He'd forecast what was going to happen. He's telling them, I've come to raise the dead, but I will myself be risen from the dead. In John chapter 20, in John chapter 20, when Jesus is taken to the cross and those who have come to put him to death, being scourged by the Roman soldiers who were proficient in their causing people to suffer in order to die. In John chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. And it was still dark and saw the tomb had been taken away. The stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon, Peter, and to the other disciples and said, other disciples who, who Jesus loved and said, they've taken the stone They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went, and the other disciples were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciples outran Peter and came to the tomb first. He, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet did not go in. Then Simon Peter came and followed and went into the tomb. 
and saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciples who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. The disciples went away to their home. Filling in the blank of the text will tell us when the women got there and they saw the stone rolled away. You remember what was said to them? He's not here. He is risen. The disciples with amazement come to this time and they see Jesus has been raised from the dead. Back in chapter 19, beginning in verse 31. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. You see, they not only knew how to scourge people, they not only knew how to crucify people, they knew how to break the legs of people who had been crucified so they would die sooner. And so it says, And the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. But they came to Jesus, and what did they see? They saw he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers, just for good measure, that's supplied from the book of Ricky, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and the testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth, that you may believe. For these things were done, that the scripture might be fulfilled, not a bone of his body was broken. And another scripture said, they look on him whom they pierced. They come to Jesus. They're going to hasten his death, but he's already deceased. He's already said, it is finished. And he breathed his last. But he didn't stay in the tomb. You know, in Acts 2, when Peter's preaching the sermon on the day of Pentecost, and he starts with, you have crucified and slain the innocent one, but it's been by the terminate counsel of God. Remember what Peter said? David is still with us today in his tomb. But he has not been abandoned to the grave. He is risen. Every loved one of ours that has ceased physical life, is still with us in the grave. But Jesus has risen. There's something fascinating about that to me also. In Ephesians chapter 1, in the third of those what's that he wants us to know, he wants us to know what is the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. That's attributed to the power of the Father that raised Jesus from the dead. But there are also passages 
as was read in John chapter 10 this morning, that he said, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. I know them by name. They hear my voice. They know my voice. And he said, I lay down my life, notice, that I may take it again. So, did the father raise him from the grave? Or did the son raise himself from the grave? He said, I want you to know the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And more than once it is said, he raised himself. He raised himself. He had the power to give life to others and had power to give it to himself again. Was Jesus raised by himself or did the Father raise him? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. The resurrection was not isolated to one member of what we call the trilogy, the trinity of the Godhead. Have you ever noticed that all three are present at his birth, all three are present at his baptism, and all three are present at his resurrection? We parse Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't parse Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, it will say, if the Spirit does it, the Father does it. The Father does it, the Son does it. The Son does it, the Spirit does it. All three work together. The Son gave life to others. He gave life to himself. He had the power to raise himself from the dead. And the Father raised him. The Spirit gave that life. Jesus arose by the power of deity. That's how he arose. And deity had the power to give life even to the son that was crucified on the cross. He has risen. But there's one more important thing for us to consider. It's not just enough to know that Jesus raised the dead. It's not just enough to know that he has risen, though that's significant for us. And apart from that resurrection and ascension, we have nothing. But next, we need to also understand that he will also raise the dead. He will also raise the dead. That should be a great comfort to us. A couple of passages. Romans chapter 14, please. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 and verse 9. Romans chapter 14 and verse 9. For to this end, Christ died, rose, and lived again. Notice, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And look at verse 15. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15. He died for all, that those who live should no longer for themselves live, but for him who died for them and rose again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. And God raised up the Lord... And will also raise us up by his power. 
he not only raised the dead, he not only arose from the dead, he will also raise the dead. That passage of great comfort, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The words that we are to use to comfort one another that begin in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him, bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. A couple of things that impressed me about that text. Number one, those who have died living righteous in this life, God says, I will raise them. And they shall be with me. But the second thing that it says there is, then we who are alive, whenever he comes, whenever he decides to call an end to this whole thing we call the human experience, and he says, I'm done with what is here. The text tells us there are going to be some who are alive. It's not going to wait till everybody's dead. There are going to be some who are still going to be alive when he comes. And what about them? Those who have been dead have already been transformed. Now to have a spirit and a body that match a spiritual habitation. Don't know what that looks like. Not important. What's important is that we will be with God. But what about those who are left behind? What about those who are still alive? They too shall be transformed. In the twinkling of an eye, they'll be transformed to now have a spiritual body fit for a spiritual habitation to live with Him eternally. So it doesn't matter whether they're living or dead. There will be a resurrection. And he has assured we who are living, we who are living, that we too shall be raised to live with him. Do you see the significance of the death of Jesus and his resurrection? It's not to remember a holy day, quote unquote. It's to remember what he has done and what he will do. And what happened to him? You see, Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15, he is the first fruits of those who sleep and those who've been raised. And if he's not raised, then we're still in our sins. If he's not raised, then we still have no hope. If he's not raised, then he says, we who have sacrificed everything to serve him are the most pitiable because we've laid everything on the line. Based on what? The hope of a resurrection. To know the grave is not our end point. He raised the dead. Power to conquer death and give life. He arose from the dead. Victorious. 
He will raise the dead to give hope. And so he tells Martha, you got it right insofar as you got it. Yes, he'll be raised the last day. But don't miss it. There's more than the last day. I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. You believe that? He says. And she says, yes, I do. He said, then, good deal. Everyone who believes that shall have life eternal and ever be with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We do not despair as those who have no hope. Death comes and leaves its chilly, chilly, uh, chilly, feeling, uh, chilly, chilly uh, fingers on our, on, our, on our loved ones. But that's not it. Jesus says, I am the resurrection alive. One last thing. It didn't stop there. Don't stop the story there. The story doesn't stop there. Heaven's plan has not been completed yet. It's not fulfilled yet. Scripture's been fulfilled, but heaven's plan hasn't been fulfilled yet. Not until about 40 days later. When he ascends to the right hand of the throne of God. Now enthroned as king. Now enthroned as Lord. Now, heaven's plan has been fulfilled. Why did he die? He died for us. Why does he live still? He lives for us. And if we have found ourselves spiritually dead, separated from Him, He longs to give us life and has made that provision possible through the death, resurrection, and ascension of His Son. Do we believe? And if so, and separated from him, will we come to him? Not simply confessing words before an audience, but acknowledging who he is in our life, having repented of our sins. Have them washed away. But if we've done that, and we've still found ourselves walking away from him, we've started walking in darkness, we can confess our faults to him, Pray for forgiveness and walk in the light and his blood will cleanse us from all sins when we ask him to forgive. Yes, Jesus lives. That we might live. If we can help, you come while we stand and while we sing.